This is E Boogie, the artist formerly known as Eric. You're now listening to Brown Men Won't Jump. Howdy, how y'all? Welcome to another episode of Brown Men Won't Jump. I'm Aswi, and joining me today are AC. What's up, guys? And Eric. Yes, sir. So, guys, how you doing? How you feeling about NBA season so far this year? We're halfway through. A lot of things have transpired so far that I wasn't expecting, but that's the great thing about a new year. You expect the unexpected. Yeah, I think now at the halfway point, the big story in the NBA right now is injuries. And I both mean guys who have been out for a while that have either made their return or are about to make their return. And a couple of major injuries for guys on teams that we expected to do something this year. The crazy thing about that is a month ago, even just a month ago, we were talking about certain teams being the clear favorites, such as the Nets. But, you know, after you have a guy like KD go down or Paul George with his injury, you know, it, it makes you think, who's going to even be competing this year for titles? I feel like with the recent wave of injuries, both the East and West have kind of been blown wide open. Yeah, and there's no bigger story right now in that Eastern race than what's befallen the Brooklyn Nets. For some reason, despite, you know, Harden kind of coming into season out of shape, despite Kyrie basically not playing for the first, let's say the first half of the season, and now becoming only a part-time player, they were still number one in the East. But now, Durant hurt his knee. Actually, the exact same way that Anthony Davis hurt his knee with a guy sort of rolling into his knee. And, and he's lucky that it wasn't more than just an MCL. Four to six weeks right there. Joe Harris has basically been out this whole season and is still expected to be out for quite some time longer. Nick Claxton is out. Blake Griffin and Paul Millsap look washed up, if we're being really honest right now. So this is a team that's in a bit of trouble. What do you think, Eric? Oh, yeah, they're definitely in trouble. Uh, I honestly expect them to drop down fairly significantly in the East with uh, ascendant heat, like packing at their heels. You got the Cavs. You got, of course, the defending champions with, with their superstar Giannis having as great a season as he has in any of the last four years. They're on a Wait, precipice whoa, whoa, of disaster. Eric, Eric, you forgot another Eastern team that's on the rise. Come on. Oh, you already know I'm not mentioning them. Y'all ain't going nowhere. Hey, all right. <laughs> okay, well, <laughs> let, hold up, hold up, hold up, hold up, hold up. All right. The MVP is playing very well. He's had, what, eight did you straight? Just, did you just amalgamate his name with MVP? It's not an original, unfortunately. It's not an Oswe Dramas original. Many folks are <laughs> saying MVP'd because it just fits so well. Okay. You know, <laughs> look, I mean, look, are, are we going to win the championship this year? Most likely not, but we are on the rise nonetheless, okay? Give us the due credit. We're, we've won our eight of our last ten, okay? But please continue. Well, well, either way, as I was saying before, Oswe just had to interject and put the Sixers in the list of contenders, which they aren't. You're welcome. <laughs> I I definitely think, AC, that they're like teetering on the brink of disaster. I don't think James Harden, to me, and he's been getting better as of late. It still seems to me this isn't the James Harden of circa 2017 where I would be more than willing to say that he would absolutely be able to lead them to a very high uh, record without Kevin Durant and of course Kyrie Lord knows uh, like if he's going to walk away from the game at any given time in the next couple of weeks or you know like if he's going to change his stance on COVID so yeah they I would not envy being the Nets front office or their head coach well, Eric, I don't think the question is, can Harden carry them while he's gone? I think the real question is, should Harden carry them while he's gone? Because 
as of right now, the Nets are the three seed, but you have guys behind them. You know, the Bucks have won four of their last six, but Sixers, eight of the last ten. Charlotte, Wizards, Raptors, Celtics have all won seven or six games of their last ten. So these teams are all playing really well. And the Brooklyn Nets kind of want to be the road team because as long as Kyrie refuses to take the vaccine, they want to be the road team so that he'll be there for at least four of the seven games in a series, right? And even if Harden plays a little bit under what we typically expect of him to play as, I don't see the Nets falling out of playoff contention. So as long as they can get to the dance and Kevin Durant comes back, it's in their every advantage to be as low-seeded as possible so that they can have their big three for as many games as possible. But do you want to face, and I'm, if I'm the Nets, of course, okay. I don't think you're you're going to fall out of playoff contention. I, I doubt that yeah. happens. That would be completely calamitous if it did, and also kind of unprecedented. But would I want to like fall low enough to have to face Milwaukee or you know one of the upper echelon teams like the Heat in the first round? Hell no. Yeah, but if you're the Nets, does it really matter? Like, I guess it would be a, a, a more bruising series depending on who you get, right? But you just want to face whoever you can if you have the best team. Well, to add to what you're saying, Alsweet, it's worth noting that Kevin Durant had this exact same injury in 2017 and ended up becoming the finals MVP that year. Now, granted, that was on a Warriors team that was so stacked that basically they actually had a better winning record without Kevin Durant than with him. So that's that's an echelon of team that was back then. This Nets team is very reliant on Durant. I think without him, they are going to lose, no matter how great James Harden is. And he has quietly, as Eric pointed out, rounded into four. His free throw rate is climbing, uh, in part because he's getting in better shape and he's driving better. So I do expect him to sort of stay afloat with him. But I guess there's a long-term question about this Nets team and their actual prospects. Because you know, also we mentioned that when you have these three guys in a playoff series, you probably feel good against just about anybody. But then it makes you wonder also that regardless if they have home court or not, Kyrie is going to miss either three or four of those games. And that margin for error shrinks. And this is a team that's not getting anything from just about anybody else. Their rookies that they got out of nowhere are totally outplaying their veterans that played a big role last year. Even a guy like Bruce Brown, who you know was kind of amazing fine last year, has underwhelmed this year. As I mentioned before, Blake Griffin and Paul Millsap look completely washed up. And they're actually lucky at this point that LaMarcus Aldridge came back out of retirement. So even if Durant comes back and he's back to normal, which I expect him to be, there are issues here. So, Eric, is there any particular way that you can think that this team could improve maybe on the trade market? Honestly, I really don't know. Like, it seems to me they don't really have much flexibility, AC. So one guy that they have a little bit of flexibility on is, is Nick Claxton. And it's more like they just probably don't want to re-sign him, you know, this offseason, given the amount of other commitments they have, you know, on their salary. So... There are rumors about them trying to move him for something. And I think he'd be a useful piece for a lot of teams. Apart from that, I mean, who do they really have that's really wanted around the NBA? Much like the Lakers, another team that's built around three stars, they surrounded those stars mostly with veteran minimum players and old veterans that have limited value on the trade market. Although I wonder, wouldn't trading away Claxton be a bad thing because of the limited production they're getting from the rest of the guys on the team? Nick Claxton is one of those guys that you probably want to keep around, right? Am I mistaken? It's all about their faith in those rookies that they have who are, who are really playing amazingly well and, frankly, have outplayed all their veterans. And it's a matter of do they believe that will sustain through the playoffs or will these guys hit that rookie wall, in which case you're probably going to miss a guy like Claxton. Now, don't forget, this is a team that had Jared Allen on their roster and based entirely out of some strange friendship that Durant and Kyrie had for DeAndre Jordan. They basically shipped out Jared Allen for nothing, and he's going to be an all-star this year. So they've already lost one good young big man. It'd be a shame for them to lose another, but that is their one piece that probably other teams around the NBA would have some desire to add to their squad. 
at some point, guys, we're going to have to have a conversation about the fact that I think DeAndre Jordan has compromising pitchers on a bunch of NBA superstars because I have no <laughs> clue what this misplaced loyalty is towards him that a myriad of guys seem to have. He's like that Yankee Christmas swap thing, you know, talking about that thing where you get the gift and you want to you give it to someone else and basically keep giving the worst gift down the road. That's basically DeAndre Jordan. <laughs> Personally, I, I don't know. I feel like it's too much to ask of of these young players to assume that they're going to have a big role in what the Nets hope is a very deep playoff run. Can you reliably count on some rookie to to cover the margins in a championship game? That's asking I'll say, a lot. I'll, I'll I think the answer to that is no, just by the fact that there is this sense of desperation. There is a lot of rumors swirling around. If they knew for sure they had these two young guys and then they had the big three and then, you know, veterans filling in here or there, if they were comfortable with that setup, I don't think this would be a team that had any sort of panic in them. But it does seem like there's an increasing air of angst about them. They're sliding down the standings, uh, even before the Durant injury. And basically, Durant is playing out of his mind. And in my opinion, making his claim as the best player in the world by his play, either him or Giannis, one of the two of them, but he is playing at that sort of level to keep them winning. Without him, they're going to lose a little. Now, even if he comes back, you don't want to be in a position where your best player has to play out of his mind for you to be competitive. That's usually a sign of a, a contender that can win it all, but is probably unlikely to actually do so. You know, there is there is one trade that the, uh, the Nets could do, but... For God's sakes, I hope the Sixers don't do it. They could do a Kyrie for Ben swap. Now, Ben Simmons would solve a lot of the issues that they have. He has size, he has length, he has incredible defensive skill set. And offensively, given that he'd be surrounded by spacers, and he's around an incredible talent such as Kevin Durant, I feel like that would be a great influence on him. And with a coach such as Steve Nash, who can really give some good pointers because you know it's freaking steve nash it's it sounds like a match made in heaven but at the same time it would also be basically the end of competitive basketball as we know it and i don't think kyrie irving is someone i would want period unless i'm assured that he's not going to retire in two days bro he's well, that's gonna the walk away <laughs> that's the rub with kyrie irving you just don't know and he's already threatened to do that right he said if i get traded i'll just retire this is a guy who has said, we've talked about this before, you know, years ago on a road tripping podcast, you know, with RJ and, and Channing Fry, he said that he admires Lauren Hill and how she retired early. That's what the kind of guy we're talking about. A guy who wants to sort of, he seems like he has other interests aside from just basketball, which is fine, but it seems increasingly that, that he's more interested in that sort of thing than he is in the actual game. In fact, when he was asked about getting the vaccine after Katie's injury, you know, he said, quote, I stay rooted in my decision, end quote. And then he talked about how, you know, basketball is just a part of his life and not, you know, the whole thing. So that's not the kind of guy that I would feel comfortable getting. The other reason that's not going to happen, Oswe, is from what I understand, there's no evidence that Ben Simmons is vaccinated either. So the, the, the Nets are basically trading one problem for the same problem. And now he may actually be willing to take the vaccine, unlike Kyrie. We don't have any idea about that, but. You know, it's not like it's a absolute guaranteed thing. Not to mention that that's another guy who's been highly flawed in his own way, too. Well, guys, this is definitely something we should keep an eye on because this story is live. It feels like every day there's new developments. Why don't we toss it over to the Western Conference now? Let's talk about the Clippers. Eric, I know you are, you became a Paul George stan. Does that stay because now that he's been injured or... Nah, I'm back to he sucks. Okay, okay. Well, news broke out today that Paul George might miss the rest of the season because apparently his elbow injury hasn't healed at all and he might need surgery. On the flip side, though, Kawhi is apparently ahead of schedule. But you know how Kawhi can be. If he's ahead of schedule, that means he'll still wait a couple months until he comes back to the court. So where does this leave the Clippers? As of right now, the Clippers are eighth in the West, and things are looking dire. Yes, they have one of the most talented coaches in the league, but otherwise their roster 
is basically just a bunch of fill guys to fit in perfectly with Paul George and Kawhi. So what do you guys think? Well, to be clear, it's not been confirmed that Paul George is going to miss the rest of the season. Basically, he started the season with elbow pain and eventually got so bad that he had three to four weeks of rest. So this is the same kind of elbow injury that happens frequently in, in baseball. And you guys may have heard of Tommy John surgery, which is pretty serious surgery, but it happens to almost every pitcher at some point because of the torque they put on their elbow. It's much less common in basketball. So there was some idea that if they could rest him, so they gave him three or four weeks of rest and hope that it could actually get better, but it did not get better. And now they're going to give him a few more weeks and hope that it does. And if it doesn't, then basically we're talking about Paul George needing likely season-ending surgery. And it's kind of crazy when you think about it because right before this, we had some really positive news with the Clippers. I, I know we did a preview pod, Eric, where we talked about which teams would rise out of that middle of the West. And you made the point that you kind of believed in the infrastructure between Paul George and Ty Lue and, you know, that organization to be able to stay afloat. And even without Paul George, they've been able to do that. I mean, they're maintaining that eight seed. They're basically level with the Lakers at this moment. But you take Paul George out of this for the rest of the year, and it actually completely shifts how this team should even look at this season. Like, should the organization of the Clippers want to bring back Kawhi in a world in which Paul George isn't even going to be playing this year? I personally think it would be unneeded for Kawhi to come back if Paul George isn't here because with Kawhi by himself they're not going anywhere in the West but I mean some of this when you're paying a guy like 40 million dollars you kind of want to recoup some of that money (laughs) at the concession stand so I mean (laughs) I I would probably if I were them have him come back just because I'm paying him a shit ton of money and I'm not going to pay him just to be at home well, to add to that, Eric, there's really no evidence that I've ever heard that once you're cleared to play, that not playing for another season or something like that somehow makes you better off. If anything, shaking off that rust for a few months and then really being ready to go the next season seems to be optimal. The other question I have, though, for both of you guys is, is it possible that they actually could still stay in the playoff picture? Because I know Osprey said they may kind of fall out of it, but Portland at 10 is quite a ways back and Lillard looks to be injured for the foreseeable future as well. So I don't even know if they can get below 10 if they tried to. So they may just end up in the playing tournament almost no matter what they do, especially with how good of a coach Ty Lewis. No, that's, that's a very fair point. That That's a very fair point. I, I look at the standings and I'm not anything below the Clippers right now. I'm not impressed with in the slightest. I don't feel any level of threat from them. You got the Timberwolves, you got the Blazers, you got the Kings, Spurs, Pelicans, Thunder Rockets, right? Which one of those teams are going to even be able to contend with a team like the Clippers, even without a Kawhi or a Paul George? Because, like you said, they have a great coach, but then they also have a lot of really solid role players. That's enough. I mean, who do the Timberwolves have? Okay, PCAT. Yeah, well, what's that brought them? Nothing. Blazers, like you said, Lillard's out. And CJ just came back from a collapsed lung. Okay. The Kings, well, they're the Kings, enough said. The Spurs aren't going anywhere. And the other three teams are basically rebuilding. So, yeah, th- I think it's completely possible the Clippers are going to make the playoffs. You, you listen all those teams out, Oswe. It doesn't even matter if, say, Minnesota gets hot and passes them and Portland gets hot and passes them. Basically, three teams need to pass them for them to get out of that at least 10 seed now. That's sort of one of the things that this play-in tournament has done for the NBA, which I think is kind of positive, is a team like this that's in a normal NBA season would have been thinking about their prospects and wondering, well, I, it'll be pretty hard for us to make the eighth seed. We should probably just tank the rest of the way and move on. Now, even in this situation, with some, when some injury befalls you, you're still in the mix for basically until the very end of the season to at least make the 10 seed, win a couple play-in games, and now you're in the playoffs. And if Kawhi and Paul George are at all healthy, they're going to be favored to win those playing games too. So we know that in the Paul George uh, deal, they gave up a shit ton of draft picks. And the logic was we put these two elite perimeter guys together and they're going to run gangbusters on the league. And, and 
the logic, I guess, was somewhat sound considering Kawhi was just coming off of an ascended playoff series against the Golden State Warriors. But has any two guys signing with a new team been met with so much fanfare to then do so little as Kawhi Leonard and Paul George? You're right. Probably not. But has there ever been a concerted effort by a team's ownership to basically buy off all the media personalities to give such fanfare? So so your contention, is, your contention is that Balmer paid the media to not, basically... Not, not paid. Not not paid, okay, because that would violate league rules. But it's known he gave a lot of like Clippers gifts and things like that to a lot of media folks in that. So first he bribed year. them, essentially. <laughs> and that and that and think about it. Think about the media narratives of that. They were basically like the darlings of the media in a sense. The whole narrative was, you know, the Battle of LA and stuff like that. That that didn't happen out of nowhere. I mean, yeah, obviously part of it was Kawhi was just coming off a championship and. LeBron just got Anthony Davis, so that was definitely in the favor. But there was a lot going on behind the scenes from ownership to build this up as something like that. And in today's day and age with social media and all the media outlets in general to market things, yeah, I mean, it's not really comparable because it's 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 just like it's it's just the new era of how sports entertainment is is digested by fans. You were this close, Oswe to being conspiracy Oswee, and I loved it. I, I oh, wanted you to say no. that he was actually paying them off. How no, 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 like, no, no, no. I am not a conspiracy theorist. If I said any of that stuff wrong, by all means, I, I implore all the fans and you guys as well to correct me, and I'll say, oh, I was wrong. I'm not about that conspiracy theory life, all right? I'm just I saying do, what I, I know. I do think you have a point, though. He had some of them in his pocket, and it's, it's looking in retrospect like a really bad prophecy of what they were going to become because they haven't come anywhere close to it. Yeah, but listen, that's kind of how it goes with sports anyway, right? When you put all of the pieces on the paper, it's hard to argue against what the narrative was at that time because these guys, they had a great coach. I mean, a good coach, Glenn Rivers at the time. They had... Kawhi Leonard coming off of a finals run where he just looked incredible. You had Paul George, who we've known could be a star. So a lot of the pieces were there. But at the end of the day, sports are sports. It's like with anything else. You can say that something has an 85% chance of happening. But guess what? There's still 15% chance that it won't. It's nothing, nothing bad about the prophecy. It's just it didn't work out. That's a good transition then to a team where it did work out in the Los Angeles Lakers, right in the same building. It did work out. They came together. They got Anthony Davis. They built this defensive core around them. Anthony and LeBron were dominant in the playoffs. They win a championship. And here we sit 15 months later, and they look so far from a championship that it's almost crazy to look back and think of what a different team this is from the identity that they had that they won literally a championship with, right? But there is some good news. So we talked about two teams where major injuries have now befallen them or in the case of Paul George, where it looks like what seemed like a minor injury might be much more serious. In the case of the Lakers, Anthony Davis has just been cleared to ramp up contact and he's expected to play in the next one to two weeks and probably return by the end of January. Now, on the other hand, Kendrick Nunn has had a setback from his bone bruise. And by the way, I never realized that a bone bruise could keep you out this long, but apparently it can. So, Eric, you're our resident Lakers guy. Just talking purely about what AD can bring to the Lakers that they just don't have right now without him. A center who actually can play defense and who wants to play defense. And that's definitely a shot at LeBron James, who just has decided when he's at the five, He's going to play no defense, so it will be that alone good to have a, a versatile big man who has offense and can play defense because, of course, with Dwight at the moment, you have a player who can play defense, but Dwight is severely limited on the offensive end at this point in his career. And, of course, 
when you have LeBron at the five, it's just as a backline defender, he's just been terrible. So I'm looking forward to having a guy that can cover up the mistakes that some of those smallish guards that the Lakers insist on playing, the defensive miscues they make. So I want to build on what you're saying there, Eric, because I think that LeBron is actually a really good backline defender. And in fact, it's by far the thing that he does best on the defensive end. The problem is when he's asked to do that for every minute he's on the floor, like he was for far too much of his last few weeks, then you're going to get a LeBron who is tired in those moments or is making the decision, I'm just not going to rotate over. And he's been absolutely miserable on that end. And no excuses. When AD is back, now LeBron and the center lineups become a weapon you can employ for, say, 10, 12-minute stretches. Kind of like you saw the other day against Utah in the fourth quarter. They went to that LeBron of the five lineup, and he just obliterated the Jazz. As opposed to having to use that as your default lineup because the other centers that they signed in Dwight Howard and especially DeAndre Jordan are basically unplayable except in very specific situations. So just having Anthony Davis back will slot everybody else correctly on the roster, particularly LeBron James. Oh yeah, no doubt, AC. I, I think everything you said are facts. The The point about everyone slotting into a more optimum position is, is something assuredly I'm, I'm certain LeBron is happy about because it seems to me LeBron tends to be, I, and I'm guessing, and, and I might be putting motives to him that aren't actually his motives, but he seems to do passive aggressive things. And, and I've seen him do it in the past. And I just can't help but think him not rotating as the backline defender. I can't help but think this is him making a point that he doesn't want to play center for extended minutes. No, good point, Eric. And just for the listeners out there, I apologize. I was having a microphone issue. It might sound kind of blurry on wherever my audio was before, but I think we're good and we fixed the problem. Eric, I want to talk briefly about what you mentioned earlier about the Lakers playing these small guards. One of the problems is they don't have forwards on this roster. They have basically just four forwards, and that's including Anthony Davis as a four. I guess now they have Stanley Johnson. So they have Johnson, they have Carmelo, they have Ariza, they have LeBron. And if any one of those guys is injured or out, like Melo's out of the rotation right now, they're forced to play these tiny guards, of which they have way too many of, tons of minutes. So there's a fundamental roster construction problem with this roster. One of the things that Anthony Davis does is it moves all those other guys down a position. So now your power forwards get to play small forward and some of these little guards that probably shouldn't be out there at all get out of the rotation. Which brings me to my question to you, Eric. Kendrick Nunn is yet another little guard, but someone that the Lakers viewed very highly. They used their mini mid-level exception on him. He has not played one single game for the Lakers this season. And based upon the latest reports about a setback he's had for this bone bruise, I'm not sure if he's going to play any games for the Lakers. Now, apparently the Lakers are hoping that he plays before the trade deadline so they can maybe use him as trade filler. Do you think that he'll actually ever play for the Lakers? I'm under, like, as far as my opinion about that, I, I think that he probably won't play for the Lakers. I, I think the Lakers have so many roster holes that they need to shore up that it seems to me Kendrick's Nunn's skill set is a little redundant. So if the front office is actually intelligent, which I'm not sure the Lakers front office is, I would probably package him for someone else. Yeah, that'd be the hope, Eric, because they need that $5 million salary in order to get someone back. And the only other salary they have outside of the big three is Taylor Horton Tucker at around $9.5 million and $10 million next year. I'm not sure what the appetite around the league is for him. So none, given his redundancy, particularly his redundancy with respect to Malik Monk, who's had a really great season. I feel like they're basically the same player. It is that maybe none's a little bit more defensive. And I think Monk is a better shooter in general. So you don't need two guys like that undersized one slash twos. So I could see them making a move for him, assuming they can get something in return. But there's another story that we have to talk about, Eric, if we're talking about Los Angeles Lakers. You touched on their front office maybe being a little bit incompetent based on everything that's happened to them. Well, the reports are out today. Mark Stein reported it. Bill Oram and others reported it at The Athletic as well. 
that Frank Vogel, a man who won a championship for the Los Angeles Lakers just 15 months ago, is, quote, coaching for his job. Any thoughts about that, Eric? Do you think that's even fair to him? Do you bullshit. think he will be? Bullshit. <laughs> you call bullshit on the report or you call? No, bullshit on, on the firing. Like, come on, man. This guy is a defensive genius. And you're trying to scapegoat him because you guys made boneheaded moves in the offseason? What is he supposed to do here? That's fucking bullshit. So I agree with Oswe. So first off, for starters, like Oswe said, it is bullshit. And honestly, just pig-headed and stupid. There's no reason to fire him in the middle of the season because you're not going to accomplish anything by doing it. But that being said... He, he has enough of a resume that you at least allow him to finish out the year. But you should also be taking into account, you gave this defensive wizard of a coach a bunch of smallish guards and perimeter defenders who can't actually defend under the auspices of, I guess, giving LeBron an ability not to... I guess have to shoulder so much of an offensive burden, but it's obviously that it was stupid and it hasn't worked out. So no, I, I, I think this is dumb, but I do suspect that he's about to get fired. And when AC and I did a pod where we were making predictions about a month ago, one of my predictions is that in the upcoming weeks and months that Frank Vogel would get the ax. I think we're getting closer to that being confirmed. Yeah, I mean, Eric Dramas might need to be a thing, Oswee. I think uh, he might have to move over. Oh, oh, oh. Let, let, let's not get ahead of ourselves, all right? Let's see. Let's see. Maybe, I, maybe I'll share power, but... You, you know, you guys both hit on the, the idea that he has not had an optimal roster for his coaching style. This is a defensive guy. They took away all the defensive talent, and they basically replaced him with purely negative defenders for the most part. Or older guys who maybe once were good defenders such as Trevor Ariza or bringing back Dwight Howard, but clearly they both lost steps. In Ariza's case, there are nights where he flat out looks washed up, like he can't even move out there. So it's suboptimal personnel. Now, you gave him this suboptimal personnel, and then all he's done this season is shown that he's actually a lot more flexible than any of us would have given him credit for. Sure, he started the season off conventionally with you know a second big in DeAndre Jordan. I, don't, I think that was a mistake partly because there were injuries on the roster. But who would have ever have thought that Frank Vogel would embrace small ball the way that he has in the last few weeks? And offensively, from a schematic perspective, week after week, they're throwing in new plays. They're finding new creative sets they're running. I've never seen LeBron set so many screens before. There's inverted screens with Monk, with Russ, setting screens for him. So I, I think he's shown a lot of offensive creativity. So to give him the axe here is purely passing the blame on what has been a really unsuccessful year from the front office to the head coach. And to Eric's point, I wouldn't be surprised to see that happen. But what's weird to me is it's happening in the middle of the season because there's nobody out there who could be a reasonable replacement. They're going to replace him with Fisdale. <laughs> Jeez. That's so stupid. That's just... I, I mean, that's just... right, guys? That's the obvious that's going to happen. Eric, can I ask you a question? So we had earlier this season a stretch of games in which Frank Vogel could not participate because of COVID and Fisdale sat in for him. And the Lakers were atrocious in that stretch. They weren't just losing the games. There were no adjustments made from quarter to quarter. One thing about Frank Vogel is, at least on the defensive end, you will absolutely see different changes from how the game starts out from his base coverage to however the Lakers defend the opponent in the third and fourth quarter. Halftime adjustments pretty consistently happen with Vogel. I didn't see that at all with Fisdale. And I saw that guy night in, night out in New York and it wasn't impressive. This is a guy who in Memphis, you know, kind of wore out his welcome as well. So what is it about Fisdale that makes him appealing for this roster? I mean, if you told me like Phil Handy, a guy who's been around for a long time on a lot of championship teams from the Lakers to the Cavs to back to the Lakers again, even the Raptors in between that, a guy like that, getting a chance, I'd be like, all right, maybe he deserves a chance. But David Fisdale, like, what is the appeal? What am I missing here? The appeal is that I guess LeBron and him go back to their days with the Miami Heat. And 
Nothing more, nothing less. That's the appeal. AC, when Fisdale was the head coach of your New York Knicks, what did you think about him? What kind of job did he do? So I think that we gave him a subpar roster, right? That was pre the era of us kind of rediscovering how to build a competent basketball team under, at least so far, I think that we've made huge strides compared to where we were a few years ago. But I I never saw anything from Fisdale that stuck out to me. I, I think he's a guy who generally tends to favor offense and spacing. I know he has recently in interviews kind of trying to take credit for bringing the pace and space to the Spolstra era heat, which people in the heat organization kind of vehemently deny. So I, you know, who knows what his role was there. I know in Memphis, he was one of the guys who really pushed Mark Gasol to go out of the three-point line and take a lot of threes, which Gasol didn't like, but ended up probably being good for his career and extending his career. So he does have sort of modern principles in terms of offense, or at least in terms of spacing. But he doesn't really run anything of note. He has no record of winning. He doesn't make adjustments. He's a great media guy. So I can see why media or maybe even, you know, players on his roster would like him. Like he's really great in an interview. He'll like put all the blame on himself and, and he'll say all the right things. But I don't see anything from an X and O's perspective that's worthwhile with him. He has the most important thing a coach in the NBA can have. He's LeBron James. Superstar bias. Yeah, he's oh, LeBron yeah. James. <laughs> yeah. LeBron, Le- Le- LeBron sure. James is, is, the, yeah. is the most powerful athlete in the history of American sports. And if he's in your yep. corner, <laughs> that's it. That's all you need. He's a made man. And we should have a podcast about this someday soon about what sort of enabling LeBron to this degree, what has that actually done to a team that was a championship core? Because I would argue that at every step, it's been a, a negative for them. You're really going back to this summer, at least, right? From the Westbrook trade to all the additions they made afterward. Just the whole idea of getting Westbrook when there were better options out there, which apparently the Lakers front office was pretty close to making deals on happening. Now, ultimately, they did sign off on this, so it's on the Lakers front office. That's probably why they're trying to pass this blame on to Frank Vogel. So I got a question for you guys, right? I think we all agree that when AD comes back, the Lakers will be better. How much better remains to be seen? I know whether they're actually have any chance of becoming the team that they probably want to be looks doubtful now, but they'll be better than they are right now. So we know that AD is coming back by the end of January or the next one to two weeks approximately. So this gives Vogel a window of time to prove himself because if AD comes back and they start winning, but they're 500 before he comes back, he's in trouble. So I'm going to read out to you their next 10 games, which I think are relatively winnable. Their upcoming games include Indiana without Miles Turner, who's injured, at Orlando, a team that's really failing, at Miami, that team is playing really well, so maybe that'll be a loss, at Brooklyn without Durant, at Philly, which Embiid's been dominant, but their team has a lot of other injuries and issues at this moment as well, at Charlotte, at Atlanta, who's floundering, at Portland without Lillard, at Clippers without George or Kawhi, and then versus New York, who's playing you know better recently, but it's hardly a juggernaut. So given that AD should be back somewhere in this stretch of games, what do you expect the Lakers to do in this 10-game stretch? What do you expect them to go, Eric? And what do they need to go for Vogel to sort of maintain his job? They probably need to go to at least 7-3, and 8-2 and two for him to maintain it. I think if he goes 5-5 five and five or even 6-4, and four, there's going to be clamoring for him to actually be axed. So they have to do stupendously well in this upcoming 10-game stretch, which they can do. There are a lot of gimmies or what should be gimmies on this upcoming 10-game stretch. So one of the teams we mentioned here that the Lakers are going to be facing, and we've covered them sort of on and off, even in the net section, is, is the Miami Heat. And Bam Adebayo had missed a lot of time this season. You could make a real argument that he is their best or maybe even their most important player you know, depending on where you slot him versus Jimmy. But at the very least, he's one of their two best players. We all agree with that, right? Yeah. Big facts. So they don't have this guy. And yet, as we sit here today, they are at number two in the East. And that's with a variety of injuries to Jimmy Butler, incorporating new pieces like Kyle Lowry and P.J. Tucker. By the way, both of them were playing really well. P.J. Tucker becoming weirdly like a scorer this season and rediscovering his jumper and, and now becoming one of the most deadly three-point shooters in the NBA. 
I believe, shooting 47% from three last I checked. So all their new additions are, are contributing. Tyler Hero is taking a step up. Duncan Robinson is doing his thing. They have a, a squad that's deep. It's got talent. And now they're sitting in a place where the Nets and the Bulls are both reeling from injury because, you know, we haven't talked about the Bulls, but they have minor things to Caruso. Zach Levine is out at the moment. Alonzo Ball is out at the moment. So this first place thrown here is, is there to be taken. Can they do it, guys? Absolutely. 100% without any question. I have zero doubt that they're going to do it. The Bulls have not looked the same ever since Caruso went down. And honestly, despite what any metrics might say, I look at the Bulls as kind of capturing lightning in a bottle. Right now, the Bulls are on a four-game losing streak. They've only won five of their last ten, whereas the Heat have won seven of their last ten. So the Heat are really looking like they're about to take this over. Bam Adebayo is so crucial because he is such a versatile big. Defensively, you can run just any defensive scheme, and he'll basically anchor that defense. You have a guy like Jimmy Butler, who I don't need to say much about Jimmy Butler. He's the fucking man. Enough said. So, you know, he's going to get you the buckets. Yo, sweet. I just can't resist. Remember the days when you had Jimmy Butler and you decided that instead of having Jimmy your franchise would go after Tobias Harris instead? It's something that every time I see my boy Jimmy Butler, I, I'm painfully reminded. Because you, <laughs> you know better than most, AC, when we were in the middle of the tanking process, I was saying we should get Jimmy Butler on this team. And yeah, we did. Oswee is a, not just a Jimmy Butler fan because of him being a Sixer. He was a Jimmy Butler friend before he was a Sixer. Then he came onto his team. Then they made this dramatic run in which, frankly, that particular playoff run, Butler was even better than Embiid, right? I mean, he was oh, yeah. the man he was on that the man. team. You know, let's get yeah. back to the Heat, but I just want to throw out there <laughs> that, you know, that's got to be painful for any Sixers fan. Right. So we saw how well he played in the finals. He's a stud, both offensively and defensively. And now you have a legitimate defensive anchor in Bam Adebayo. All of a sudden, this two seed is looking like they're possibly the most dangerous, most well-rounded team in the East. In short, yes. I think the number one spot in the East is up for the taking. And I think people don't account for the fact that the Miami Heat were just the runner-up two years ago in an NBA final. So they have a team who have been together for some years and they have championship experience. They lost, of course, but that experience means something. Not to mention last year, they had a lot of injuries and COVID and all this shit going, which caused their season to go awry. And basically they retained all of those guys with that championship experience and then some. So I want to touch on that then to close out here, guys, which is, do you guys believe in the Heat as a playoff contender? Like, do you believe that they have a real shot to win the NBA championship? Because there's two schools of thought when we talk about the Heat. The first school of thought is they got lucky in a year in which it was weird bubble playoffs and they weren't even a top three seed, but they end up going to the NBA finals that year playing against a bunch of teams that weren't ready or, you know, were dealing with their own issues in in the bubble. And then they end up going there and then they lose to a a better Lakers team. The other school of thought is that team was actually pretty damn good. And then last season, they kind of just paid a bubble tax. Like all the teams that went far in the bubble, one by one, they had some severe injury befall them and they just weren't the same. You can say the same with the Lakers. You can say the same thing about the Nuggets. So this is now more representative of what they could be. And This particular version of the Miami Heat has added an all-star caliber guard in Kyle Lowry, another great wing in P.J. Tucker, and then their young players, like Tyler Hero, have taken a step up. So the question then remains, have they taken a step up far enough to actually become playoff contenders when the other teams that are the contenders in these have much better star power than they do? I think so. I just I just look at that team and I think they have depth. They have a lot of championship experience together. They have a legitimate stud in Jimmy Butler. He's a guy who, if he's healthy, 
could make an argument for being a top 10 player. He has the talent there for sure. And you have a coach who's arguably the best coach in the Eastern Conference. Who's the other person? Maybe Nick Nurse, right? So I mean, he's maybe the best coach, period. Right. I mean, he's, right. and he's got two titles to back it up, too. Yeah. So look, Spolstra is an incredible coach. And you put all that together. And I feel really good about this Miami Heat team. The biggest roadblock for them, the Nets, I kind of feel like are up in the air right now. So I'll, I'll get to them after. But I'll, I'll say the biggest roadblock for them right now is probably the Bucks. I think the Sixers will be an annoying series from them to face if somehow we end up matching against them, which is possible. Really, the Bucks are the team that I feel like there is their biggest roadblock. But there are a lot of favorable matchups they have there. And I have confidence that Spolstra can outcoach Bud any day. And then the other question is the Nets. Well, let's see how Kevin Durant heals after a couple weeks or months, however long it takes. If Kevin Durant's Kevin Durant, that's a different story. But we can't rely on Kyrie. And Harden has gotten better, but I'm not sure if his postseason woes has been mitigated in any other way. Now, last year he was coming off an injury, so we can't really count that. I I don't think it's fair to count that against him. but. I see holes in the nets that I feel the Miami Heat can really take advantage of. Eric, what do you think? Am I am I just hopelessly optimistic about Jimmy Butler? I don't think you're hopelessly optimistic. I think they have, first off, they have excellent coaching. I do agree with AC's point that, in general, you kind of need like a top five guy. There have only been a few instances of teams getting deep and definitely winning where they have guys who are more like star than superstar. But I I could conceive of a scenario where the Miami Heat win the championship. I wouldn't pick them as my favorite at all, even in, in the East. But I, I mean, I would pick the Bucks ahead of them. Of course, the Nets, but I can see it. I can see it happening. Yes. To me, the top two guys in the NBA are Kevin Durant and Giannis, depending on how you want to order them against each other. Right. Right. And Jokic and Jokic. <laughs> yeah, well, yeah. Maybe Jokic, but Jokic is not going to get to the finals of this shitty Nuggets TV. Exactly. Song. So it's one of these two guys, right? So you have to go through one of them and very likely probably both of them, unless you get a situation where they just knock each other out. So when you go back to 2020, you could conceivably argue that Jimmy Butler was the best player in the East, at least, right? Because Tatum and Brown were inconsistent as usual in that playoff run. Just a year before that, Embiid was the second best player on the team with Jimmy Butler. And yeah. in that playoffs, Joel Embiid was pretty disappointing and Butler was spectacular. So who else was even in the running? So as usual, the team with the best guy ended up going to the finals and then they faced a Lakers team where they had better guys. And ultimately, they won. I don't want to simplify basketball too much like that, but it often does come down to top-level talent. And that's the rub with me when it comes to these Miami Heat. Because you're absolutely right, Asui, that from a matchup perspective, it makes a lot of sense. Like, Let's say you face the Nets, right? A team we haven't seen them face before. They have multiple guys to throw at all their star players. They can put up lineups out there where I don't even know who you would target defensively. Right, They can just switch everything and say, well, we have five elite defenders on the floor at once. But when it comes down to it, can they score enough to keep up? Because you can put any defenders you want out there. But in the end of the day, Durant's getting his. right. And if you give him too much attention, Kyrie and Harden are capable of getting theirs too. And so I just wonder to what degree they'll be able to match up and keep up with that kind of star power when it comes to the playoffs. And I, I feel the same way about the Milwaukee Bucks. This is not the Giannis that they beat in 2020. This is the Giannis that started to develop last year when, guess what? The Bucks knocked out the Heat, right? And you said they were they were injured, but in that playoff series, they had most of their guys, but the Bucks were just another level above them. And Bud himself evolved as a coach too, right? In part because he learned what failed in 2020 against Miami. So this is not the same team at all. I look at the Miami Heat as a very annoying team that you would hate to play a playoff series against because you're probably not going to sweep them. You're going to end up in a long, physical, rough series with them. But ultimately, if you have star power, you're going to beat them. So I don't. I look at them more of a, as a pseudo contender 
than as a real contender, given health to everybody else in the East, of course. Yeah, that sounds about right. No, that's fair. That's fair. That being said, I don't know. I feel like things are really going well for the Heat in a way that it's not going... Like, the other contenders in the East are really struggling right now for different various reasons, whereas the Heat are starting to really get things clicking, and you're getting to the halfway point of the season, and, you know, Pat Riley's Pat Riley, so expect around the trade deadline they'll make a couple good moves because they have assets galore. So while right now your assessment's perfectly fair, and it probably will end up panning out the way you said, AC, the rest is still unwritten, and unlike a team like the Sixers, that could mean a lot for the the Heat. Yeah, I think that's a very good point, Oswe, that you know, even the Bucks, who Eric mentioned earlier that Giannis is playing really well, they're not really translating his play into enough wins to make a real push in the Eastern Conference standings like you'd expect them to. No one has really stood out all that much, and now that Kevin Durant is out, I'm not sure that any team will. So they could probably get the one seed as we talked about, and then they'll have home court, and you know they have Spolstra and defense. So I, I guess they do have a shot. I, I just look at them more. I would be surprised if they got to the NBA Finals. That'd be amazing because it'd be an exercise in team building over just pure star power. But uh, it'd be cool to see. I just doubt it'll happen. All right, guys. Well, I think that's a perfect place to stop for today. So we're almost at the All-Star game. Both the East and the West look wide open right now. Jury's out on whether or not these injuries and returns from injuries will make a difference. Pray for Vogel. Pray for Vogel. Pray for Vogel indeed. And as an aside, I'm calling on all Brown Manuel Jump fans to be with me this weekend as my Packers face Eric's 49ers. <laughs> oh shit we got an inner host battle between two of our guys here two teams that have faced each other not that long ago and i recall eric's team coming out on top that year that, that's fine that's fine but you know it's a new season it's a new year my team's looking good hopefully my faith is not misguided and next week we'll be talking about how my team beat eric's so oh so you all you're going to win this weekend just so you can lose the weekend after. Got it. Oh, no, 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 no. I believe in my boy Aaron Rodgers, all right? I believe in him even though he doesn't believe in the vaccine. I believe in Aaron Rodgers. So with that, guys, thank you all so much for joining. We hope you enjoyed today's episode. Be sure to like, rate, comment, and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. And make sure to hit us up by emailing us at brownmanwillchup at gmail.com or on Instagram at brownmenwoljump. We'll catch you in the next one. Be safe out there. Take care, guys.